Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of Wednesdays with Wheels. I hope everybody's having a great Wednesday night. Uh, I'm here with my good friend and founder of uh, Endless Highway, Rob Tortorella. Rob, how are you? Good, good, Wheels. Great to see you, and thanks for uh, inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm Glad honored. to have you, my friend. And, I'm, honored. Uh, I'm honored to be on with you. So the first thing we w- I want to talk to you about is Rob and I are both uh, wheelchair users and some of the best looking wheelchair users, <laughs> I might add, that I've ever that I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but uh, and in fact, uh, I was talking to Miss Deanna King from the Brother We Show and I said I was having you on and she said, oh, is that that hot guy in a wheelchair? <laughs> and I said, well, he's not as good looking as the guy you sit next to every Friday, but that's, that's right. he's all right. Uh, But first, I want to talk to you about, because we are both wheelchair users, but we we, um, definitely came about being in wheelchairs in different ways. So I want to talk to you about how you ended up being in a wheelchair uh, and your accident. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So um, shortly after I graduated from college in 1983, uh, I was in a, a car accident. Um, I had just gotten home from from the Boston area to uh, to stop and see my parents for a few days before I was going to relocate to Rochester to start a job. And uh, that evening, a couple of my good friends that I grew up with said, uh, "Come on, time to go out. You know, everybody's back in town." And um, that evening, you know, I had a I had a few drinks, a few too many, and driving home. Late at night uh, on the expressway in Syracuse, going back home, I lost control of my car, and I ended up um, breaking my neck, uh, C5 and 6. And then, uh, uh, fortunately, my, my friends in the car were banged up pretty bad, but nothing, nothing serious. And I spent, um, I spent the next uh, five months in the hospital. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how much of the accident do you remember um, I, I know I remember I remember leaving leaving the club and, and driving and you know losing control of the car and I uh, after that I was I was basically in a coma for about the next uh, twelve to sixteen hours I woke up in the emergency room um, and I think my mom was with me and I don't I don't remember any of the you know the accident I don't, re- I, don't I don't have any recall of being transported and what they did, you know, as far as, you know, getting my clothes off when I, by the time, um, you know, I, I, I woke up, I had, you know, tubes down my throat and they had, uh, back then they, they basically cut a, like a hole in your stomach and they put a scope in to look at all your organs to make sure there was no damage. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's kind of, you know, I don't remember. That's all I remember. I remember waking up in the emergency room. So now you had just you had said uh, when we uh, just started here that you had just graduated college and when when you were in college right uh, you were a you were an athlete you were you were what you you played lacrosse I played I played lacrosse all four years I was captain of uh, of the team my senior year I went to Holy Cross College in uh, Worcester Massachusetts about forty five minutes east of Boston and. Uh, you know, growing up, I played sports my whole life, you know, soccer, hockey, and lacrosse, uh, all, you know, all varsity sports in high school. My brothers were all athletes, and my, you know, my dad and mom were both very, 
very athletic. My father played major college football and, uh, and, uh, my mom was very athletic. Um, she grew up across the street from a park in Boston and was a pretty good basketball player, baseball player, and control could throw a baseball and the football pretty, pretty good with three boys. And there uh, you go. So uh, my next question then would be when you, when you wake up in the hospital and, and they tell you, um, you know, this happened to you and, and, and that you no longer have uh, the use of your legs talk because for many of us and myself included, because I was born Mm -hmm. uh, with a disability. So I've never known what it's like to, to, uh, run a, a lacrosse field and play lacrosse. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the shock and how you had to uh, wrap your mind around not having yeah. to use your legs. It, 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 that's a good question, Dave, or good, you know, good insight. Um, at, at 20, I was 21, just a couple months before my 22nd birthday. And, you know, I, I honestly was like, I, I was, I, I, I didn't believe it. I believed that I was going to, walk again. I mean, that's what I told myself, you know, there's no way that uh, I wasn't going to walk. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know what the word quadriplegic meant. And I really didn't know, you know, growing up, I really didn't know anybody in, in a chair or had been exposed to disability in general or, or knew somebody with a spinal cord injury. So in my mind, it wasn't, it, it, you know, my reality was going to be, I was, I was walking again. And um, I would say, it took me a couple of weeks before, before it sunk in that I wasn't going to be able to walk and that this was pretty serious because as I, as the days went on, there were more and more, when you break your neck, it's not just, you can't walk your whole, because it's a central nervous system, your whole body is affected. So I was, you know, blood clots and all kinds of other issues, infections and so forth. And my, my, you know, my prior life was, you know, the oldest son. Um, I was very physical and athletic. I, you know, my dad was a Marine and a Marine officer. And, um, you know, when he, when he traveled, which he did quite a bit, he said, you know, when I'm, I'm gone, you're the man of the house. And I took that pretty serious. And, uh, I just, um, I just didn't want to believe that I was never going to, you know, never going to be able to walk again. And, um, throughout the time in the hospital, which was five months, you know, the, the reality, you know, started to sink in, especially later when I was doing rehab, you know, I realized that, um, you know, being in a chair was going to be a whole different deal than I, than I ever imagined. And, um, I think it took me, Dave, probably, um, I went through a real a period of depression after I got out of the hospital and lived in the world and, you know, realized, you know, not only, um, people's attitudes and kind of preconceived notions, but also, you know, the architectural barriers that, 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 you know, that prevent, prevent easy access, which is, you know, makes life even harder. And uh, I, I, I'm smirking a little bit because, uh, you know, you and I deal with some of the same things, mm-hmm. a lot of the same things. And we go to a lot of the same places. Yeah. Um, I've known uh, I've known of Rob for many years, you know, because being disabled, we travel in the same circles. We know a lot of the same people, but I didn't really get to know Rob until about 
I would say about four years ago when I started doing the Brother Wee show, mm-hmm. and, uh, Wee said to me, you got to meet this guy, Rob Tortorella. He's a great guy, and he, he's all over the place, and he, and he's just, you know, he's, he's a guy you got to meet. So I got to sit down with Rob. But talk to me then a little bit about, because there is this, obviously at one point you were able just to go into any store you wanted to go to, any restaurant you wanted to go to. So talk to me a little bit about the accessibility of places. Because remember, this was back in 1983. 83. I believe the Americans with Disabilities Act wasn't passed until 1990. Yeah, it was totally. And when I I ended up going to to Boston a month after my accident to University Hospital at BU, because at the time, it was the um, Northeast Regional Spinal Cord Injury Center. There were seven of them in the country. And I was fortunate to get in there. And uh, I spent about four months there. And, uh, and when I got out of the hospital, it was uh, October 31st, 1983. I was fortunate that I moved into an apartment that was uh, relatively accessible with a friend of mine. And um, honestly, I mean, I had, I had great support around me. My friend, the reason... When I, I stayed in Boston because I had a lot of friends from college that were in the area. And then as well, my family, we were fr- originally from Boston. So I had many, many cousins and aunts and uncles. And um, so, I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many houses I used to get carried in and out of up staircases and, um, you know, f- fallen a couple times when, the, when it was slippery out, you know, the guys dropped me. Um, but it was... I would say that um, back then, Massachusetts and, and even Boston, for being an old city, was a little bit more aware of, of um, accessibility, and they did have some accommodations. But basically, I mean, I would go to, I, I, you know, through my cousins and friends, I'd find the restaurants that were easy for me to get in and out of, easy to get in and out of the bathroom, and um, certainly in the beginning, you know, I, I, I had a, I had a crew, a crew around me because I wasn't yet independent. I mean, I would, you know, I wasn't driving. I had to, um, you know, when you're injured like that, when you lose your ability to lose your legs, you have to, you know, you have to go through the whole DMV situation to, to, to get a license for hand controls. Yeah. So it took me a while for, to, to, to get my license. So I, you know, I, I really lost like a lot of the independence that I had prior to the, prior to the accident. And honestly, looking back, if it wasn't for the support that I had, um, I think it would have been even a, a more, you know, very difficult, very, very difficult year. And uh, even with that said, I mean, I remember um, the apartment building that I lived on was on this big hill uh, in Malden, Massachusetts, overlooking Boston. And uh, there was like a guardrail. And if I could get over the guardrail, I could go falling down, you know, my chair and I down this huge cliff. And uh, one night I was out there with my buddy and I was, I don't know, I, I just felt terrible. And I said, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to go over. I'm ready to like, you know, try to get over the guardrail and just, he's like, well, if you're, if, if you're going to do that, then I'm going with you. And uh, I just remember that. And that was kind of a turning point in my life. I'm like, you know, this is life and I got to deal with it. This is life and I got to deal with it. So there was, there was some, I, I know you'd mentioned earlier, but just in your last statement there, the depression at some points got to be pretty bad then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I felt like I, you know, I, I was 22 years old and I felt like, you know, what kind of guy am I going to be, you know, in a wheelchair? Right. I, you know, 
I'm not a tough guy anymore. You know, I'm not, I'm not really, a, you know, I'm not really an athlete. I'm, you know, who am I? And it's that whole, I think you go through that in life anyways, in your early twenties. I mean, maybe, you know, as a guy, you know, that's when it happens. And, and, uh, the, you know, the whole, the whole accident and the reality of living in the world, you know, in a chair and having some other physical limitations, um, it, 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 you know, it took a while to sink in of what, you know, what it was going to be like, but I did, I did conscious. I mean, I've always had a good attitude and, you know, and, and I think that that played a lot into it too. And I, you know, I, I got my confidence back and I, I said, I'm still going to live my life. Um, you know, I'm still going to try to date girls, except I'm not going to ask any out unless I know that they're going to say yes. So I had to do some re- recon first, <laughs> but, uh, I started going, I started going out with my cousins and friends in Boston and, you know, found out that, that, you know, I could still live a life and, and still have, still have fun. And eventually I got a job and, you know, was productive. I got my license, got a van and, uh, I had a, I had a great, I really did. I had a great two years in Boston. So I will share a quick story with you. Okay. Um, I still do not have my driver's license. Yeah. And uh, that is one of the biggest, um, my biggest sticking points, I guess, is yeah. the term I use. I, I am fairly independent uh, when it's not a pandemic and we're right, right. not, yeah. I get around just fine. But uh, when I turned 18, I went to Rochester Rehab mm-hmm. to learn how to drive. And I got in the car and I got in the passenger seat and the instructor backed the car up. And the whole passenger seat tipped over backwards Jeez. with me in it. Now, I'm fast forwarding through this story, but she was about seven months pregnant at the time. Couldn't bend over to help me undo my seatbelt. I had to crawl over to the bench seat in the back right. and, and calm her down because she was starting to hyperventilate and sweat. <laughs> uh, so then I go back six months later, Rob, and they put me in the way back of the van in my wheelchair but my instructor, little old guy, Clarence, I still remember his name, says, I've never tied anybody down to the floor before, so I'm going to get my boss. She's done it a million times. She'll come on and do it, and then we'll, you know, once we get yes. to where we want you to drive, you'll drive. Well, she ties me down to the floor, says, Dave, have a good lesson. He gets in the front seat, goes to back the car up, and the whole wheelchair oh, gets over backwards with me in it. So there were two, to, and after that, my confidence was just so shot that yeah. I never, I never went back to do it again. Yeah. So I mean, there are, uh, and I'm sure you have stories like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, wheels, that, you, you, you always got a good driver with you. So there's a, there, there, you always got, yeah, your, your man JJ in that big old Mercedes. 90, <laughs> 90 miles an hour down the highway, bud. Uh, um. There's a, I, I read poetry and a, one of my favorite poet is Charles Bukowski and he has a poem called the red Porsche. I don't, I don't know if by heart, but there's a line in there that says um, it's better to be driven around in a red Porsche than to own one. <laughs> I just look at it this way. I don't have to pay the insurance bill. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There you go. My, so one of the, one of the questions I have, and I hope I, I, I know you're an open book, so you won't mind answering this. Was there any time, though, Rob, after the accident where you sort of looked in the mirror and you looked at your buddies who were in the car with you and you said, why me? Why was this me? Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I think, I think it was more when I looked in the mirror, it was like, is this me? Because my body had changed so much. Cause I was, when I got hurt, I was probably 195 pounds. And after being in the hospital and because of atrophy, I ended up weighing about 135 pounds. So, so my first year, you know, in the world, I probably, you know, I was, 50, I was 140 pounds, skin and bones. And I just like, I remember transferring in the car and, you know, my friends helping me and my, my, my legs were so skinny and my buddies were sitting next to me and, you know, they were bigger than me. And I always had like, you know, big, you know, big legs and a bigger, and I, it just, it just didn't seem right. Right. Um, I, and I never, you know, to be honest, I never, I, what, 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 for me, I had my two best buddies, two guys I grew up with since I was like six years old, since I moved to Syracuse that were in the car with me when I had the accident and I was driving and, you know, fortunately they were just banged up, you know, not, nothing serious. They were in and out, you know, getting stitched up and they were home that night. But if something would have happened to them, I, I would have, you know, that would have just, yeah, you know, that would have, I would have been terrible. And I was, I was always thankful that it was only me that got injured. So I never, I never, you know, I never asked for any more than that, honestly. That's, that's, uh, yeah. you know, I always say to people, well, you, you mentioned it uh, in, when you, in your last answer, you, you come to this realization where this is what it is, right? Yeah. Like I tell people all the time, I can't change it. That's right. You know, so you just have to learn to live with it. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have bad days and we don't, Absolutely. you know, there aren't days where we wish things were different. Absolutely. But the overall uh, outlook on life has to be, look, this is what I was, this is the hand I was dealt. Yep. And you have to learn to deal with it. So now I want to, I want to transfer your, you're out of the hospital. You've gone through some rehab. You said you you've got your own apartment. You've got a buddy living with you that's helping you with some of the daily functions because mm -hmm. it, you weren't able to do some of that. Um, so now I want to talk about you and mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that you weren't going to date anybody unless you knew they were going to say yes. <laughs> uh, so talk to me about, and we can exchange war stories here because uh, I've got a ton of them. But talk to me a little bit about uh when you first started dating again and, and that new reality and what that looked yeah. like, and yeah. I'm sure you had to answer a bunch of questions. Sure. Sure. Well, when I, when I, when I did have my accident, um, I, I had a, a girlfriend um, and we were, we were serious. Uh, she was a couple years older than I was. And um, you know, I was, I had just graduated from college and she was, you know, working in Boston and we were kind of just talking about, started to talk about the rest of our lives together. And uh, back in the '80s, that's what you did when you're in your, when you were in your early 20s. Of course, Every, everybody was getting married. But um, I, so we were together, and she was she she stayed with me all through my, you know, my hospital stay, and when I got out. But it, it really um, the relationship because of the accident. I think primarily we we never got on track. So it was probably about um, three months after I got out of the hospital that we broke up completely broke up. I mean, I, I was an angry guy and I probably took, uh, you know, not probably, I did take a lot of my frustrations out on her. Um, you know, that's what, that's what, that's what immature guys do, you know? And, and, uh, I, I think that because we were so close, um, she was an easy, an easy target for me. And, um, I also think that 
part of it was my, you know, my own ego is like, you know, I want to, I want to be out in the world alone. I want to see if I can get through this by myself. I don't want to, uh, you know, probably subconsciously, um, you know, I was trying to be noble and say, you know, I don't want to drag, I don't want to drag you, you into this. So the relationship came apart and um, I did start, you know, going out um, with my friends and uh, just through my people I knew and my cousins, you know, there were there, I was lucky that there were, you know, females that were interested in me. So when I lived in, when I lived in Boston, um, I was able to, you know, I never had a serious relationship, but I dated, you know, three or four nice girls and um, definitely helped my confidence. Definitely. I mean, I, I felt like I could um, uh, take them out. We, we went to dinner. We'd, you know, we did some social things at my apartment or somebody else's house. And I think it was very instrumental in just, you know, building my self-confidence as well as, you know, the reality that, hey, I can still have a life and be social and do things, you know. I mean, my hand function, I can, you know, I live totally independently, but, you know, you ask me to shuffle a deck and deal cards, it's not the easiest, it's it's not the easiest thing for me to do. So, you know, when it was my turn to, to deal, somebody next to me would shuffle and deal, you know, for me as if I was dealing. Right. I mean, that, that's just like a kind of a little simple thing, you know. And I, and I don't know about for you, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, as someone with a disability, it, it humbles you because you have to, from time to time, ask for help. Yeah. So you, sure. you become a much more, uh, you, and tell me if I'm wrong, especially in your case, but you, you became this person that, that at one point could do everything for himself. And now you have to ask maybe your your family or your friends for some help, and it and it in in my case it humbles you, and you you really look to those people that are your closest friends because those are the ones that that you know are always going to be there to help you no matter what yeah. the situation may be. For sure, for sure, and I mean I, you know part part of what I what I did when I was younger, um, you know after my accident is I wanted to be you know, have total independence. So I put, I was lucky that I had enough muscle, upper body muscle capability that I could, I could, you know, dress myself, undress, I could shower, I could transfer. That took, it took some time. Um, but I got to the point within probably six months after getting out of the hospital that I could function independently. And it really for years, I, I, I didn't want to ask anybody for help. I mean, it was, it was, Looking back, it was probably um, more of a of a younger macho kind of a kind of a thing. Sure. And and also, um, you know, just I felt that you know I had to, I had to push myself to 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 the extreme. However, you know, thirty seven years in a wheelchair, I wish somebody would have told me that you know it's really about preservation. And now you know now I have you know. Now, I mean, I, you know, I, my, my guy Victor's with me, uh, wherever I go, people say, where's Victor now? Because, uh, he's been my guy for three years, you know, helping me, you know, driving when, uh, I have to go places for work or if I need physical assistance and, uh, you know, my, my shoulders have deteriorated. I mean, I can still do things independently, but I've had to make a lot of adjustments and, um, I do, you know, I do need help to function. Uh, I mean, when I, 
even get, you know, some, cause of my shoulders being sore. Sometimes I need help to, you know, get pushed up into my van up the lift. I mean, that just tonight after work, the gal that I work with, you know, walks me out to where I park and make sure that I can get up in, into my van and, and transfer and drive. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's part of life for yeah, it's it, part of life. Sh- shoulders are a big thing for, yeah. for us guys oh, yeah. and guys and gals in wheelchairs, right? Absolutely. Because if you think about it, uh, for anybody who hasn't spent any length of time in a wheelchair and you, you most people use their legs to get around, right? Yeah. But your legs are meant to do that. Right. Our sure. shoulders aren't meant to, no. to push up hills and over yeah. obstacles and, and, uh, banging around in our wheelchairs. So uh, shoulders is a big, is a big thing. Uh, But I want to talk, I do want to touch. I said that you, you, you are a father. Uh, uh, You have a daughter, I believe, right? Yes. Yep. I think I, I think I've met your daughter once or twice at an endless highway event. I have to say, Rob, she might be your biggest cheerleader. (laughs) Yeah. She's, yep. She's ever. Mm -hmm. She's over there hooting and hollering and, and yeah. uh, she does a lot with the charity, I know, too. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, because one of the questions I get asked a lot, um, because I'm on all these dating apps, and it's the worst thing in the world, <laughs> my friend. Uh, but uh, the first thing I get asked when I tell them I'm in the chair is, well, uh, does everything work okay? Oh, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about being a father. Talk to us. Uh, you know, did you get questions like that when you were younger? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And talk to me a little bit about how you dealt with that, because maybe I could pick up some pointers. <laughs> like I say, once you get the chair, it's just not fair. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Yeah, you know, usually women are a little bit more upfront and inquisitive. So um, I've gotten those questions, you know, my whole my whole life. You know, does, you know, does the junk still work? Right. Yeah. Do you, do you got gas in that tank? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, everybody's different. Um, there's not, there's no right way and there's no wrong way. Um, I, you know, I'm fortunate that, that um, I was able to uh, maintain function um, because my injury is what's called incomplete. And uh, I met my daughter's mother on a business trip uh, when I was in Baltimore. Uh, I was, at the hotel I was at and she happened to be working there. And then, uh, we ended up getting married in 1989 and my daughter came in early 1990. So she's 30 now. And, um, her mom and I split when we were, when she was young, but, but, uh, we, we co-parented for quite a while, but then, um, her mom had to move for work. So during all the teen years, um, you know, I raised Shauna, uh, I think that, um, I mean, Shauna would tell you that I think she had a pretty good childhood with me. And uh, there were things that I wished that I could have done that I that I couldn't do. But um, I tried to, you know, within the given limitations, I always looked for other options that we, you know, that we could we could do as a father daughter. Um, you know, we we used to go to Sanibel every year, you know, sometimes twice a year and. I couldn't go walk on the beach with her, but, you know, when she was old enough, like six, seven, she'd go on the beach. I'd be on the you know boardwalk area and she'd be running back to me showing, you know, showing me the shells that she gathered. There was a pool we could, I, you know, I, I could get in and out of a pool with a little bit of help. So I'd go swimming with her. 
and uh you know we would just have fun together i mean I, when i i would always rent a car and uh i remember when she was probably 10 years old she was sitting on my lap you know driving the car around sanibel island and uh you know she was she was driving a vehicle before most of her friends were back then right by but, the way i just i want to pop something up on the screen right there Oh, that's. <laughs> I just wanna. I. I uh, that's your daughter, and that's yeah, uh, my daughter. Yeah, you. you uh, uh, did a great job, my friend. Uh, but you know, one of the things, and you can touch on this a little bit too. And I almost wish we we had Shauna here to talk with us too. But um, I have I have three nieces now, mm -hmm. right? And my nieces have grown up around me being in the wheelchair, so. My nieces don't know any different. Right. Like right. that's just Uncle Dave. And, yeah. and like, you know, if somebody looks at me uh, a little sideways, they wonder why are right. why, why are they looking at you sideways? Right. You know, um, so and I think your daughter would probably say the same thing. Absolutely. For, for her and for my nieces, uh, you know, when they're in a in a in a, in a room full of people in wheelchairs or whatever the disability may be, let's say an endless highway yeah, event, yeah. they're not taken back at all, right? Correct. For sure. Yeah. I think my daughter, you know, was exposed to, you know, all kinds of people with all kinds of disabilities, all kinds of, you know, religions, colors, um, you know, not, none of that mattered. And certainly she's a, um, an open-minded young woman. And uh, I think that, you know, I think that she, you know, growing up too with me, um, you know, she spent a lot of time uh, in company of my friends. And, uh, you know, so she, she at a young age, she kind of knew, you know, what was, what was real. And uh, she, yeah, so I, I, you're d definitely, I mean, this is, I'm the only dad she's, she's ever known. And uh, since the day she was born, I've been in the chair. So. Right. And it's, uh, I think, uh conversations like you and I are having right here help build awareness that yeah, sure, at, at the end of the day, Rob, you and I are just two, we're just two guys. Yeah. You know, I remember, I remember being in high school and uh, a cute girl would walk down the hallway uh, at the beginning of the year. And I'd say, Oh guys, look at her. She's cute. I got to find out who that is. And they'd look at me and be like, what do you, you know? And I'd be like, guys, my legs don't work. Yeah, that's right. I still like girls. Like, you know, so, and, and there needs to be more an awareness, just not only about that, but just about life in general for people with, with all types of disabilities. Uh, so I want to, I want to now transition Rob into, well, first let's talk about that. You, you own your own business and I, I will admit that I don't exactly know what the business is. So would you like to share that with us? Sure, sure. So it's a business with, um, with my brother and another partner. Um, over 30 years, we built up a industrial distribution business, selling pumps, uh, process equipment, piping, valves used in chemical plants, power plants, wastewater plants. And we were, uh, we were fortunate we sold the business in February of 2019. We had uh, six locations and uh, just under 100 employees. But we also um, had separate a uh, specialty construction company. So we, we, we still own that company. And uh, 
I have offices here uh, at the Metropolitan. We do the basically handle the, the the finance. The controller works here in Rochester, and then our big operation is down in Albany. But we we do specialty construction work really all over the Northeast. Um, we do uh, coatings, epoxy coatings. We do specialized pipe repair. Um, we do uh, a high end and not high end, but industrial specialty painting. Okay. And uh, so, so that, that business, you know, is growing and thriving. Um, I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, my role is more of a, you know, of an owner. Um, I focus more now just on the, on the finances and whatever I can do to support the business. I'm not like in the, in the trenches, like my partners are every day, you know, up early in the morning and, and seeing customers and dealing with all the issues that you have to deal with um, in a, in a construction company. I'm the oldest. Um, my one partner's uh, about nine or 10 years younger and my brother's six years younger. So, and we have some other minority partners that are also, you know, very, very active in managing the business. So I'm, I'm a, I'm at a fortunate place in my life where I could put time into other, other endeavors. And we will get into that other endeavor yep. very shortly, but I have just a couple questions when it comes to when you started a business and when you had to go in and make a sales pitch yeah, uh, yeah. to someone, uh, did, did you notice uh, people treating you maybe a little differently? Sure. Sure. So the reason, one of the reasons why I, I, it's in, it's called industrial sales is just a generic word, but I worked for a company. That's how I ended up in Rochester is that I, that I was hired uh, prior to my accident uh, the summer before I, I, I lived in Rochester and worked for this company just doing, you know, warehouse work, but the owners, you know, off, the owners offered me a sales job. So prior to the accident, that was my plan. I was coming here to start my, start my job. And uh, two years later, two and a half years later, I came to Rochester to work for that company. And uh, at the time, Eastman Kodak was a huge thriving business. And in the 87, they were trying to spend a 10% of any, uh, of anything that they spend on, on a minority business. So I tried to, I established my business with the idea that I could be a minority contractor. Um, back then it was, uh, I think, a, if I remember, they called it like a section eight federal certificate. And because of my disability, I would be considered uh, economically and socially disadvantaged. However, I was not able to get that status, but I started the business anyways, and uh, that was in 1988. And um, my you know, my my father was in industrial sales, and he was a successful guy, and he was really instrumental in guiding guiding me, and then my my brother that got involved. So we we started the business in Albany, and. Um, you know, just being at the right place at the right time. And we, you know, worked hard. Um, we did the right things, you know, at, at every turn. And we were, we brought in our other partner, you know, maybe about seven or eight years after we started. And we, you know, we grew the business together uh, over oh, 31 years. So from 1988 until we sold it in 2019. That's awesome. And there's just one, if you don't mind, I, last time I was at the uh, Endless Highway event, uh, you were you shared a story, uh, I believe, of a conversation you had with your dad uh, in the garage, I believe. 
in the garage. Yep, yep. Do you remember right. that? Yeah, Can you yes, just... geez, geez, Dave, you're going to get me emotional here. Uh, um, if you don't so want to, you don't have no, to. No, no, no. It's no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Tomorrow's my dad would be his birthday. Um, so, no, I just remember that uh, this was after the first time that I came back to my parents' house, the house that I, you know, grew up in since I was six in uh, Syracuse. It was um, almost, uh, you know, nine months after my accident. And I came home from Boston to stay, you know, for a week or two. And uh, it was the first time that I really spent, you know, time with my, with my dad and, uh, you know, extended time. And, you know, we did things together, whatever we did, you know, we went down the street and had a beer together at the bar, or, you know, we went to the store together, whatever it was we were doing. And, uh, you know, towards the end of my stay, you know, he just, you know, and my dad wasn't like a, you know, a real emotional guy back then, but I was in the garage and I think at the time he was in there cause he was smoking a cigarette and he basically, you know, hugged me out of the blue and just said, you know, son, whatever, you know, whatever you need, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to make it happen for you. Whatever you need to, 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 to get by in this world, you know, your, you, me and your mother and your brothers are going to, are going to make it happen for you. And I was like, dad, I, you know, I can do it on my own. I'm going to be okay. He's like, we're, we're going to, we're, we're going to give you anything you need. You know, uh, we're, we're not going to hold back anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I've always kept that in the back of my mind, you know, the fact that, you know, he was willing to sacrifice anything. So that's, uh, you know, for his son. And that's what, you know, that that's part of why, you know, I've always wanted to do something, um, you know, in the disability field and, and, you know, have the opportunity, you know, to, 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 you know, improve other people's lives or give them, you know, some opportunities that I, that I was afforded, you know, because of my family, because of the support that I had and just, you know, the fact that, you know, God pointed his finger at me for some reason. And I've, I've had a, a great life. Sure. So. And I, and I will say the reason that I asked you to tell that story and, and I kind of caught you off guard there and I do apologize <laughs> no, because I didn't mention to you that I was going to bring that up. I was actually thinking about uh, that event that I was at at endless highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that story with your dad and you in the garage resonates with me so much because I have two parents that would do anything for me, yeah. um, you know, and so that just resonated with me. And I think that's why we're so we we are so well adjusted to our situations that because doesn't. of the people we have around us as well. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. So now I want to jump into, Rob, what you're doing now. And I know that this has really become your passion mm-hmm. and that would be your uh, charity or 501c3, mm-hmm. uh, Endless Highway. Correct. Uh, so first of all, give us a little overview of what Endless Highway is, what you do, and also if you could, where did you come up with the name Endless Highway? Okay. So as you mentioned, Endless Highway is a, is a 501c3 non-for-profit, and our mission is to provide uh, inclusive opportunities for children and young adults with disabilities so that they can participate in recreational activities, athletic, uh, inclusive athletic competition, as well as um, exposure and involvement to the arts. So um, we do that in various ways by um, providing equipment to compete in athletically, whether it's 
customized racing chairs. Uh, we've purchased, I think, uh, 18 basketball wheelchairs. We've, um, we've helped start with, we've done a lot of collaborations in the greater Rochester areas, very successful collaborations um, with, for instance, Michael Amy has adaptive inclusive yoga. So Endless Highway will support that by buying um, equipment, um, any type of, if any student can't afford the fee, which is nominal, we cover the fees, no questions asked. We do, um, we've done inclusive dance where, I don't know, I think you might've seen one of the dances with the floor dance company. Um, I sure did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we had, we had a, uh, two, two young adults that danced with four, um, four female able-bodied dancers that was choreographed. They put a lot of time into practicing. Um, we do, um, we've done quite a bit of work with the Strong Museum to sponsor, uh, sponsor children attending the museum, working with them to make sure, especially now with all of the construction, making sure that they're accessible and that they also have um, an inclusive environment um, with, the, with the staff, the people that work there. Uh, we had quite a bit of activities that were scheduled to start right before COVID hit. Uh, we had a, we, were, we were collaborating with the Lyric Theater. They have a, a, uh, a youth um, theater group, um, kid ages from about 13 to 17 or 18. And we, were, we, we had about eight or nine um, young adults and children with disabilities that were working with the, with the, the team in place to come up, uh, they were going to do a, a, an inclusive uh, performance. Um, so those are some of the, some of the things that, that, that we do. Rob, I just want to touch on, you were talking about how you raise money to get racing wheelchairs. And, and I think I heard, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard one of your goals is to have adapted equipment. You would like Endless Highway to be able to have adapted equipment in so like if I was to go to the Y or something like that and wanted to use some equipment in places like that, it would be available. Well, yeah, we, we, we haven't gotten to that point, but what we're, what we're doing now, especially with, um, with COVID is we're trying, you know, we're trying to get the equipment out for, so that the individuals and their families could use the basketball chairs rather than coming to the gym to play basketball. Because right now that's really not, not achievable because of the, because of the pandemic. Right. But, but our whole mission is, is a really about inclusivity and, and providing out, you know, providing opportunities, everything from, you know, the, you know, one of the projects we're just starting to work on now is to bring some accessible, inclusive playground equipment to the, to the greater Rochester area. So um, we're, 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 we're doing a lot of behind the scenes work. And uh, I think that um, one way or another, we're going to, to, to get this, this really neat, piece of equipment called the we go round and we're going to place it someplace in the town of Greece oh. and, it's a, and it's a, and it's and it's accessible that kids or anybody in a chair can get on it as well as the able-bodied uh, kids and it's a really fun and it, it goes it goes in the you know 360 degrees you put your hands on the on the middle of the wheel and you can turn it and it's kind of it's safe because of the design and the, right. and the type of structure it's and and, and that's so, so those are some of the things that we're, that we're, that we're doing now. So question for you, have you heard, I'm sure you have, uh, uh, but the, have you been over to the miracle field? You know, I, I haven't 
been there yet. I was actually trying to get there this winter and it didn't, it didn't work out yet. What's the gentleman's name that started that? Uh, I, uh, I don't know the gentleman's name that started. I know one of the members that's on the board. Okay. I, I had him on an earlier podcast. His son has down syndrome. Okay. Yep. And, um, and, uh, but uh, I haven't been over there yet either because of the whole COVID thing. Right, I wasn't right. able to get over there. But uh, it's great to see things like this happening because they have a hole with the Miracle Field. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know what the Miracle Field is, it's it's a full fully handicap accessible uh, for all types of disabilities uh, baseball field. Uh, and they also have a, a handicap accessible playground there as well. Right, right. Um, but let's talk about the cost because what people don't realize is how much some of this equipment costs, Rob. Correct. Uh, so yep. talk to me about let's let's start. Listen, I'm I'm looking to purchase my own uh hand crank bike right now. So yes. I've I've been I've been doing some research with that. And boy, are they expensive. Absolutely. So let's That's talk about things like that, like the basketball chairs and the racing. Right. Right. So, so that's, you know, one of the reasons why I specifically wanted to do sports and recreation is because there's really not a lot of funding sources for, for, for that equipment. And it's, you know, if, if, if an able-bodied child or young adult wants to play, they, you know, pretty much just need a pair of sneakers um, where if you want to, if you want to, if you want a custom racing chair that allows you to, you know, really really become a, a, a competitive wheelchair racer that chair is about thirty five hundred dollars and insurance will not cover it it's anywhere from thirty five to, to, to four thousand dollars a basketball chair is twenty five hundred dollars that's for 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 one chair mm -hmm. um, the uh, like you I'm very familiar with it with the with the hand the hand bikes the accessible hand bikes they're about they're three thousand bucks yeah you and i you might have to point me in if you're familiar you might have to point me in the direction I, of, of i have, I have some good one. i have some good sources and the other the other thing too is that um monroe wheelchair um here in town which is a very large you know medical supply company uh doug westerdahl is uh is the founder and i um i believe they they sold not too long ago but he's still running the show and uh, our main man, Dave Hebert, uh, who's a great friend of ours. I, I call him the, the um, wheelchair fitter to the stars. Yeah, that's right. He is. That's exactly. Yep. He's, he's the best. And uh, th those guys have been great with, with me um, and, endless, and great for Endless Highway because, I mean, they've, they've sold, um, you know, basketball chairs basically at their, at their cost uh, to, to Endless Highway as well as, you know, any, any equipment that I've needed over the year, you know, through, through endless highway. Matter of fact, they just, they just donated a custom everyday chair for a young guy. Um, that's a racer, uh, out of Buffalo, Tyler, Tyler, Tyler ball. But, uh, his, his everyday chair was, was, was coming apart. Really. It was unbelievable that he could still push around in it. And, uh, and for some reason, insurance wouldn't cover a new chair. So we were able to, uh, uh, we, we actually had a fundraiser and raised significant, significant amount of money. And, uh, and Monroe wheelchair ended up getting the chair donated and custom fit, uh, Dave fitted them for, you know, for free. So, and that, 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 that everyday chair was about a five or $6,000 
$6,000 chair. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you think about it, I'm 30, I'm 39 years old. Yeah. I've been through over 10 chairs sure. oh, in yeah. my life. And, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, and you can expand on this a little bit, but uh, not only the racing chairs, but just our everyday chairs are custom fit to us. Correct. Yeah. So it's not like anybody can just, no. you can't just go, you know, I say, when people say to me all the time, they say, well, why does a wheelchair cost so much? And I say, because it's not like I can just say, well, I'm not going to use a chair today. I'm just going to take the bus. <laughs> you know, yeah. we need it. And the insurance companies know that. And yeah, it's, it's the insurance companies, it's gotten harder and harder, even for reimbursement for, you know, for, for, for our everyday chairs that we need to, you know, we need to exist as well as lots of other stuff that we need that they don't cover anymore. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, the chair is like, I mean, you could imagine, I guess, if you had an ill-fitting pair of shoes that you had to walk around in, imagine having a chair that, you know, didn't fit you right, that you're trying to push. And, uh, yeah, our chairs are, you know, they're, they're custom, all the materials custom, it's everything from the, you know, the width, the length, the back height, the type of material, the type of push rims, how big are your wheels, um, you know, it, it's totally, it's a total custom design. Um, I... The last time I flew, which was right before coming back from COVID, when I, I um, were the fir my first stop, you, you know, usually they bring the chair right to the front gate of the, of the, of the plane. So yeah. that I, could, I could use that to, you know, until I have to get on my next flight. Well, this, this particular time, the, they, 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 they sent it through luggage. So I, I, you know, I had to go into, you know, a, like one of the chairs that they have, which is. You know, I can't push myself. It's so right. wide. You can't get yeah. to the bathroom. We call that a grandma chair. Yeah, Rob. yeah, yeah. And it's not, not, you know, it's not comfortable. It's not good for our backs, our butts, you know, our skin, anything. It's a, it's a yeah. horrible experience. I've had some doozy experiences flying. Uh, one going to Vegas and my flight got delayed. And they, of course, being in a wheelchair, they put you on the plane first. Right. Before everybody else. Yeah. So I was on probably about a half hour before everyone else. Mm -hmm. And then everybody streams in there. And then you have yeah. to wait for them to take their seats and yeah. put their luggage up. And then we're taxiing to the runway. And the pilot comes over the over the loudspeaker and says, um, the runway that we're using is uh, that we need to use is shut down. So we need to take you back to the gate. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, I've already been on the plane for about an hour. Right. So we get back to the gate. Now that special transport chair that they use to get you off the plane, right, right, yeah, right, because yeah. our regular chairs won't fit through the plane right. door. Uh, the people that run those chairs that they contract out to to operate those chairs have all gone home for the night. Yeah. So I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So I I waited patiently, and but then I said, listen, I need to go to the bathroom. And the pilot comes back and he goes, and he's a big guy. I mean, you know, he says. Do you want me to help you to the bathroom? I go, my best friend's right over here. Him and I won't fit into the bathroom. You and I aren't going <laughs> to fit into the bathroom. So I tell that story, and I'm yeah. glad you told your story, because to, to highlight some of the struggles that we, we yeah. have to face, but we do it with a smile on our face. Now I want to talk about uh, how have you 
because of all your fundraising efforts, right? How have you, because of COVID, how have you transitioned into doing some fundraising because we can't be together? So correct. So, so it's kind of changed the dynamics of our whole, you know, our whole mission. Um, one of the, one of the, one of um, the activities, um, not activities, but one of the things that we were able to do is with, with some of the money that we have is uh, we established a COVID uh, financial relief for families with children with disabilities that were adversely affected by this. So our, in our first run, we did um, almost $12,000 out into the community uh, through Endless Highway of $750 grants to families. And I'm very fortunate. I have a gal named uh, Carolee Fennessy, who's my um, communications and operations director. Um, she's, she's done most of the grant writing. And we've had some, some uh, help through a consultant who's been excellent, who just kind of guides, guides Carolee and, and gives us some direction. But we were very fortunate in that we, we, we just recently received two grants, um, one from the uh, John Wegman uh, Community Foundation, which is a, a local uh, philanthropic organization. And we just received funds from the United Way. We got word this morning and we're, that, those, that, that money will be redistributed into the greater Rochester and Buffalo area for families with disabilities to help with, you know, unforeseen financial uh, struggles. And um, a, a lot of these kids are, because of their disabilities, have various, you know, um, medical conditions that, you know, whether it's immune deficiencies, um, uh, kidney issues, and, uh, you know, or, or, or respiratory issues. So they have to be, their parents, of course, are very concerned about, you know, their social interactions and where they're going. So a lot of these, a lot of these kids are spending more, more time at home than, than the average kid, even during this. So we're trying to, um, you know, pivot into that with getting equipment to them to use individually with their families. Um, we're, we're, we're working on a program to get laptops or iPads so the kids could either, whether it's learning or entertainment or gaming, that you know they, they, they would have their own their own laptop or iPad to to to, to do sure. that. Sure. And we're I'm sort of my so I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but uh, my mom runs the Empire State Games for the physically challenged. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I did know that you did. Yep. I, and yep. so we are sort of in the same boat right now. Right. Uh, he does a program in June in Long Island mm -hmm. uh, that was canceled because of right. the COVID and everything that was going on. And even our program that we do in Brockport, which when we get that back up and running, I want to get you involved sure. and have Endless Highway come out and maybe we can do a collaboration. But even our program in October for right now has been canceled because where right. we do it, Brockport College right. uh, not allowing any in our outside uh, activities to come into the, the college. So you brought up an interesting point and, and, and I think some of my friends on my Facebook feed and are, are probably sick of me talking about it. But uh, if you could touch on it a little bit again, just how some of the people that you deal with uh, some of your younger athletes or uh, by the way, what age range do you work with? So uh, how, what is the age range that you go up to? Well, the youngest I would say is probably about five or six. Okay. And, and um, a, a young adult, I mean, you're still a young adult, Wheels. You're a young adult. 
I so, got gray. <laughs> I got gray hair. I'm no, not okay. Uh, yeah. So so we don't we don't have an age limit, but but young adult and a young adult can be you know can be in their in their late twenties and thirties. Um, okay. So so yeah. So we you know no, no no child left behind and and if there's if there's a need out there um, in regards to you know a family with a disabled uh, uh, child a young adult we're going to try to you know we're going to try to to, to, to fill, to fill the gap and what, whatever it is. I mean, we've, we've, you know, for instance, just, just to not to go off on a tangent, but there was a young boy that uh, was brought to my attention that, um, he went to college and, uh, he, I believe he was born with spina bifida and his whole life he ambulated, you know, walked with, with crutches. But uh-huh. when he got to college, it was so hard for him to, to walk, you know, to the different buildings with his books and so forth. And he was falling, you know, it was just the time it took. And they wouldn't, um, the insurance wouldn't cover a scooter for him. So through Dave Hebert, um, you know, we were able to get a scooter for cost, probably for, you know, a couple thousand bucks. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got it down. He was, I forget the school he was at in New Jersey, but um, he actually made a trip home. And I met, I, you know, I met him and his mom and dad for, for lunch one day. They came out to my office, you know, to thank, to thank Endless Highway. Um, that's just kind of one of the, you know, one of the things that we, that, that we've been able to do. So uh, that, and that's awesome. Uh, one of the things I want to touch on before we end here, two things, actually, do you have a, a website where people after listening to this podcast and I encourage anyone who's listening or has been watching the video uh, to, if you, if you have the means to donate, please do so. Uh, is there a website that they sure. can go to do that? Sure. sure. So there's, so the website is endless-highway.org. Okay. Endless-highway.org. And there's a donate button right on the, right on the front page. But also, um, if you can follow us on Facebook, it's Endless Highway Inc. Endless Highway Inc. I-N-C. If you search that, we have a, we have a, we have a pretty active uh, Facebook page that we, post kind of some of the things that we're doing. And, uh, there's a pretty, there's a pretty funny post that just went up today, uh, on there. I was, uh, on father's day, I was at my friend's pool. I saw it. Did you see that? Yeah. My buddies, my buddies picked me up out of the, out of my chair and threw me in. It was my, it was, I told him that was the easiest way to get me in. But, uh, everybody that's seen it, I said, well, I, I had no choice. There was somebody, you can't see him on camera, but they were pointing a gun at me. So I had to, I had to let him do it. Listen, you have no fear, my friend, and you also have good form. So, yeah, <laughs> I think the I think the United States judge gave you a night land. <laughs> that was a good landing. Uh, yeah. Uh, re- last question for you, Rob. Uh, if you just tell me something that you think someone who has never dealt with, you know, there we take it for granted, right? Because we're around people like us all the time. Right. But, but there are uh, a large majority of the population that may have never interacted with someone right. with a physical uh, um, disability. Right. So if you could, if you could put on your teaching hat for a moment, what is, what is a couple of things that you would like to tell somebody that might be a little uncomfortable around someone like you or I, because they've never been exposed to it before. Hmm. So, well, I, I used to, on the back of my office door, I had this quote 
that uh, I saw for the first time at my my buddy's coffee shop. He had it right in the center, and it said, uh, "Be kind, for everyone is fighting a battle." And I think Plato is the one that said that. So I think that um, you know, with with the disability wheels, uh, you know, we we encounter a lot of different things, and the people that are closest to us see it. Uh, you know, they 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 see what we experience as far as you know going to a hotel room that's supposed to be accessible and it's not, you know, you can't, you can't get into the bathtub. They don't have the right shower chair. You can't reach the faucets. Uh, you know, the sink isn't a wheel under sink. The bed is 18 feet high and you have to be a gymnast to get up in it. It's a, it's a, there's a, a lot of adapting that has to be, um, encountered and you have to be able to problem problem solve. And, uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that we learn is, is patience and that, you know, we're, 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 you know, we have to adjust at every situation. And, um, I think that there's, you know, in all of us, um, you know, we have something to learn from everybody. And, uh, the other day, I, I actually, I was out with uh, my daughter and my good friend from New York and, and my daughter's mom for father's day. And we were out uh, having lunch and we were leaving and uh, there was a mom that had a baby in her hand. And my daughter was, you know, saying, what a beautiful baby. And she had a couple of children that were a little bit older. And the, and the daughter, that was maybe seven, I, I wheeled, I turned my back and I heard her say, um, mommy, why, why is he in a wheelchair? So I turned around and, and I said, um, it's okay. You can ask me, honey, it's no problem. And so I, you know, I, I told her and I, you know, I told her what happened and that my legs didn't work because of my accident. And so um, I think that, you know, those are little teaching moments that are important that I try to be aware about, aware of, um, when I'm, if I'm going to the store or going through the door, somebody may be coming, you know, right behind me and say, Hey, Hey, let me, let me get the door for you. And, and if I'm kind of in motion doing the door, I'll always say, Hey, you know, thank you very much for asking, asking, I got it. Or if the timing's right, I'll say, great. Yeah. Hold the door for me, make it, you know, I don't have to struggle to try to open it and get through. Perfect. Um, you know, it's it's so interesting, and uh, I like to keep these around an hour. But I I feel like I could talk to you forever because, uh, you know. But it's so interesting because I'll go to the store and a, a little girl or a little boy will say to his mother, "Like happened to you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, why is he in a wheelchair? Dad, why is he in a wheelchair?" And the parent doesn't exactly right. know how to answer that, right? So they'll say, you know, don't look, don't stare, you know. Yeah. And that's not the right way to handle it because that's, really, that's only teaching that seven or eight-year-old that there's something different right. 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 that they can't look. That's right. So I always tell parents, let them ask the questions. For Even sure. if you don't know the answer yeah. and you don't feel like you can come up to me or whoever it right. may be because – Let's be honest, Rob. You can't go up to everybody that's in a wheelchair. That's right. And that's one of the that's one of the problems I have is because I say to some of my friends who are in wheelchairs, we can't expect people to understand what it's like to be us yeah. if we don't help them to understand what it's like to be us. Right. So when you say no, I don't want to answer that question, yeah. all you're doing is setting the cause back another You're you right. Know, you're Another, right. absolutely, and uh, uh, you're right. You know, talk about the cause, like you said earlier. You know, things were 
it, it was different in the you know 60s and 70s there's a great movie on netflix called crip camp oh my and god it, what a great show yeah, yeah yeah some great great people in that and i i had the chance to meet you know one of the main characters uh not characters but the main uh uh person in the documentary judy judy human human who's like you know who's the leader for disability rights you know breaking down you know uh, uh, architectural barriers as well as you know as well as prejudices from from society i mean i remember i remember the first time i left the hospital it was a day trip and we were going to like a restaurant in the outside of boston and there's probably eight of us in chairs you know with some you know hospital people and we get in there and they they didn't want to seat us they said they didn't they didn't that the, the customers in the restaurant you know, wouldn't, wouldn't like to see, you know, these, they, they, it wasn't right that we were in there upsetting their meals. Cause we were still, you know, we were still banged up. You know, some of us had, you know, neck braces or even the halos were still in their heads, you know? Right. And so I was like, holy shit, this is, this is what, you know, this is what it's going to be like. I mean, that was in 1983 and it's, and, and it's, it's come a long way and we're, you know, we're part of the reason Dave, that it's, that it's moving, moving in the right direction just because of the way that we live our lives. It's come a long way. Would you, I agree with you on that, Rob, but don't you think it's got a long way to go? Oh, sure. Sure. There'll, there'll always be, there'll always be injustice. There'll always be racism and there'll always be prejudice. You know, uh, yeah. that's just how that that's, that's just how society is. And society has been that way for millions of, you know, for thousands of years. And it's, you know, by, by us doing the right thing and, and educating people and, you know, making sure that we're treated equally and we have our civil rights. Um, you know, we, it's, that's that, you know, a lot of people before us have, have sacrificed. Right. So, and, you know, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't know if you know, have you ever, have you ever met Tom Turner? Sure. Sure. I know Tom. Absolutely. So Tom, Tom is, uh, he listens to me on the Brother Wee show yep, and a yep. and, uh, big advocate for me. But Tom's a big advocate. And yep. Tom is always fighting for equality and all that yep. stuff. And I admire that so much about Tom. But I think it can be done in so many different ways, right? Absolutely. So your platform with your charity mm -hmm. and then the platform that I have on the Brother Wee show. Correct. I, I mean, I, I, I'll just be honest and say, like, I'm not out there, like, fighting for, for, you know, every little thing, but I do my own type of thing yep. with my platform on the brother we show. Um, so, uh, but we need guys like Tom and, and Judy, of course. And that, if anybody hasn't seen that documentary, it's, it's Crip Camp on uh, Netflix. It was uh, uh, directed and produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. Um, and it's just, it's just a great look into, how in the and this was a camp in the 70s yes. but it's just a great look into how these these children at the time were just like every other uh child and and wanted to be treated that way and then when they went home uh, most times were not treated that way correct so well listen rob this was fun i appreciate it thank you thank we, you for we, having me dave it's great i really i really appreciate it wheels i had a great time and uh I'll see you real soon. And, and we got to thank JJ Perone for putting us together. Double J. We, yeah, yeah. We, we were talking off air about our good buddy, John Perone. 
And I, I know he was good friends with your father, right? Yeah, yeah, and my dad were very close. That's how I met John. Uh, yeah, so JJ yeah. called me up the other day, and he said, yeah. uh, he said you got to have Rob on, on the podcast. And I go, well, yeah. it's already been a thought. I was just hoping we could do it, uh, you know, after the pandemic so we yeah. could actually sit down together and do it. Right. But uh, he said, no, you, you got to get him on now. He'll be great. And yeah. and you didn't disappoint my friend. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use you as a resource in the future just for myself. Anytime. Because, Anytime, uh, my man. I, I think you've gone through a lot of the stuff that I'm going through right now. And uh, some of the stuff that, that I still struggle with, you know. So, uh uh, I'm going to use you as a resource. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay with me right there, Rob, just while I end the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Wednesdays with Wheels. If you want to get yourself a hat, look at this nice little lid I'm wearing right, right there. Uh, we've got that. We've got those for sale on uh, the well, on uh, my Facebook page. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, I do have a Facebook page just dedicated to the podcast now. So if you could go like that Facebook page, because eventually once we get enough people over there, that's where we'll be hosting these uh, interviews. Um, so uh, is that Wednesdays with Wednesdays with wheels, right? That's the, that's the Facebook page. That's the Facebook page. Yep. Wednesdays with wheels. Yep. And, uh, and uh, so if you could like that page and, I think we're already up to close to a thousand people in just a couple of days. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, but also this will be available in just audio uh, um, platform only. If you don't want to look at our ugly mugs and you just want to listen to us, uh, you can find that wherever you would find a podcast. Thank you very much for joining. We'll be back next Wednesday with another guest. Rob, thank you very much. Thanks, Wheels. My friend. Thanks. We'll be in touch. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.